coordinated strike. Welcome back. As always, it's Coordinated Strike. I'm your host, Joe. We have a delightful show for you today. I apologize for the hiatus. Life sometimes gets in the way. I have two wonderful new children, so uh, my twins have taken up an absorbent amount of my time and the preparation for them, so I do apologize for not having a show for a little bit. But we have a show for you today. It is a great one. We are very excited about the other side. We are excited that we're about a month away from Gen Con, and we're very hopeful that we'll get some new Toss stuff. Yeah, hopefully. Or at least some Toss alternates, something to be excited for and ecstatic about. But beyond that, let's go ahead and talk about what we're going to talk about today. It's, a, it's, a, it's an inception. It's inception. Okay. We're going to talk about list creation and most specifically we're going to talk about building your company to fit the roles that you need for the operation that you're going to be facing because this is information that you know and then you also are going to know what your opponent is in terms of what they're bringing from a commander standpoint and from the standpoint of the allegiance that they are declaring so I want to talk about tools you should be putting in your toolbox. We're going to go over what you need, how units kind of fit those roles. And so without further ado, let's get to a quick commercial break, and then we'll come back with this pertinent information for your list-building needs. When you do for a beer, Bush does it. Oh, there's a lot of Bush going to be sold. Beginning right now. Fill her up, Fred. <laughs> There it is, 5 o'clock, quitting time all over town. Yeah, the after work rush will start now, and Claude isn't back yet. Yeah. Wow, Flintstone Bush commercial. That is a solid poll. I want to thank my advertising guys for, uh, for getting that one on the books. I appreciate it. Finally, an adult beverage commercial. And with 70s cartoon. Sweet! Okay, so where were we? We were going to talk to you about building your company for the operation and kind of identifying within your list as you're building it and after it's built the roles that those units are going to play in the operation itself. So let's go ahead and define some terms, some roles. So I, I go about looking at my list uh, anytime that I have a list prepared and going into an operation, I try to identify what the operation is looking for. And so let's take a very basic operation. Let's take pitched assault. Uh, so pitched assault, we have two fixed objectives in the center of the table that are about 12 inches apart from each other. And there are six-inch circles around those where units can, if the unit is, if a fire team is killed within there, there is a bonus point given to uh, the team that that killed that uh, fire team. Alternatively, if you control more of those two objectives than your opponent does, i.e. if you control one and they control zero, or you control two and they control zero, you score three points. So there's an incentive to 
go towards the middle, there is an incentive to get to those markers first and hold on to those markers each round uh, and deny your opponent from being there. So additionally, this is an operation that is about killing the opponent's fire teams and units to score maximum points. And the type of unit will also provide additional bonus point. The commander is going to give up an additional bonus point. A, uh, a titan is going to give up an additional bonus point. So there are some mitigating factors with what you want to put in your list sometimes in this particular operation. So you have this give and take of the operation wants you to have things that are survivable, things that are typically not single fire team. If you are bringing something that is not single fire team, or if you are bringing something that is a single fire team, it really behooves you to protect it properly because otherwise you're going to be giving up two points when that fire team dies as opposed to a single point when that fire team dies if that fire team belonged to, say, like a squad. So additionally, there's a positional component to it uh, where we want to be in control of the objectives, but we don't want to be within six inches of that item if we have a fire team that is going to die, we're going to be giving up points to our opponent in that instance. There's not a lot of incentive to come at your enemy and get to his side of the deployment. It's not like set traps where it's all about getting to the other side of the map or supply cache where it's all about getting to the other side of the map. It is more about holding your ground, setting a line of engagement, and preferably setting that line of engagement ahead of that six inch bubble around the center while controlling the uh, the elements behind it so that you can really rack the points by owning the objective so we want so what does that kind of tell us that we want we want resilient units we likely want access to some type of healing mechanism so that we can help our damaged fire teams recover quickly uh, so that they're not uh, removed trivially. We want to have units that are hard to dislodge. We want to have something that's a little sticky. So in this operation, resiliency is, is at a high is high cost. Or, or resiliency is at a premium. Uh, we want recursion uh, as much as we can get. Because this allows us to maintain advantage so this is very much an operation that's about attrition so i'm going to go ahead and define that for those that are not familiar if you play war machine i'm sure you are exceedingly familiar with this term or other games so attrition is about the removal of your opponent's pieces your opponent's models your opponent's units versus your removal of those units if you are winning the attritional battle it means you can continue to trade material, you can trade down, in that you can keep trading pieces with your opponents as long as you stay at the, at the attritional advantage. You're going to have more pieces at the end than your opponent does. And if you have more pieces at the end in this particular scenario, you're going to be able to own those two objectives without real fear of retaliation. So there's a couple of ways you can go about doing this. Uh, a Titan despite it giving up an additional point, is actually a very strong selection 
in this particular operation. So let me go ahead and give you my reasoning why. One, they have while they have very low defenses, they have very high armor statistics typically. Couple exceptions, they're most notably the uh, the Gorsuf, or however you say it, the uh, the Burning Man's Titan. The rest of the Titans tend to have a very high armor stat. They tend to be resilient, and they tend to have an ability to affect the battlefield at range or project a long-range threat. So they can threat and threaten further than they can typically be retaliated against in, in a lot of instances or in, or in some instances. So they are going to be harder. They're going to be a little more resilient piece than a single squad, than a fire team is in a squad because their armor value is higher. It's going to take more consecutive hits to remove that entire Titan than it is uh, one of the other options your opponent might bring. So Titan then has a dual, dual issue of being a large target. So you're going to have a singular target that your opponent can then focus on. But it can theoretically trade up. So what do I mean by trading up? If your Titan exists on the battlefield for, say, two turns, and each turn it was able to remove a single fire team that happened to be within six of the objectives, it would score you four victory points over the course of the encounter. Meaning when it died, if it also happened to be within six inches of the objective, it would give your opponent four points. But they would have an equivalent, there'd be an equivalent point exchange there. So what you really need to get value out of your Titans in this situation is to have them score more than four victory points over the course of the game. If they're able to do that for you, you have a massive advantage by bringing this unit over another fire team. By bringing another, by over bringing another unit. So there are a lot of ways to mitigate damage to a Titan. Um, Medic is the uh, the most natural uh, example I can give on the Earth Allegiance side. It is a, a two-cost uh, stratagem that is reusable that flips an asset for you during your turn. So this adds uh, automatically to the resilience of the Titan because the, if an asset is flipped on the Titan, you can go ahead and spend the Medic and it will flip it back. Um, additionally, they themselves can forego uh, movement through using a focused effort action, gaining a reinforcement token, and then spending that reinforcement token during their activation to flip an asset back. Again, or to repair that asset. Again, flipping it from damaged to full. So the Titan really does provide a lot of flexibility and security in pitched assault. But you have to be mindful that you just can't run it out there. The other bit to consider with the Titan, and this is something that's going to be a little tricksy for uh, those of you that enjoy tricksy things, and I know I'm one, 
The Titans themselves cannot be engaged unless there is another Titan on the field. This means they can very freely get within range of the objective. If you're playing close objectives like I normally play, they need to get within an inch of it. Uh, if you're not playing close objectives, you just need to get within three. And you can go ahead and have them spend an action and a tactics token, or a tactical action and a tactics token, to, or morale action tactics token, to go ahead and flip that marker to your side. So it is a way to kind of break a stalemate if you have uh, an opponent that has kind of blocked around it. You can go ahead, bring your Titan in, and the Titan can just go ahead and interact uh, because he's not actually engaged by the little peon models. He's not engaged by the, by the little squads that they have blocking there. He's only engaged if there is a Titan. And as we said before, if that's a situation that causes you to score and have more than your opponent at the end of the turn, that's a three-point swing. That's three points that goes automatically to you, meaning the Titan only needs to get another point to equal what it would give up for having brought it if the opponent's able to take it down. And if it does it two turns in a row, you've secured six victory points for the Titan and for your team. They've, they've automatically put themselves at a plus two advantage there. So the Titan gives you flexibility. It gives you a hard target to bring down. It gives you an ability to equate how many points you need out of it to be at a positive in the victory point exchange for having brought this item. And that's something I don't think that we think about enough when we're selecting our forces is for the operation is how does this expenditure of script equate to victory points? It's not just what it can kill. That's part of the equation. But the other part of it is how can I use it in the, use it in the operation itself to leverage it to the best advantage that I have? So in this instance, if your opponent has brought no Titans, your Titan can reign free in grabbing the objective because there's no way for it to be engaged. And because it does, is not engaged, it is free to grab those markers. So that is something that I want to make sure that everyone here is keenly aware of while playing the game. Because it, it really is quite an advantage and I don't think it's something we've thought enough about or discussed enough and I want to make sure that my listeners and my my players have a good understanding of the value that the Titan brings in pitched assault and so let's go ahead and talk about some other things some other roles that are going to be in pitched assault so we've talked about what uh, the Titan potentially brings for this particular operation. So let's talk a little more in general terms about what some of the other types of units can bring in this particular operation. So I want to talk about screeners. So what, let's go ahead and define what I mean by a screening unit or a screener. So screeners are typically fast moving or cheap units that are able to advance rapidly. They, you don't mind horribly if they are killed 
but they can be used to either protect more valuable assets uh, and units by providing to them a viewing block because if the opponent can't see behind them, i.e. they haven't brought a titan or they're not on a hill, their line of sight is going to stop at this unit. And so if they're having to shoot a very cheap unit or a very resilient unit or a very fast unit, they are not getting a chance to shoot at your more valuable units that are coming up behind or are taking or are ultimately going to take the objective. So these are things like Eurazi, these are things like Basso Cav, these are things uh, like Infiltrators, these are units in many ways that are even something like Broken or something like uh, Barbed Crawlers. Now Barbed Crawlers aren't necessarily fast, but they do have a ranged mechanic to them. So they don't, they're going to be able to threat further than they can advance, and you can go ahead and set them up to screen something more valuable, i.e. like your Titan, to go ahead and not be seen by your, by your low-level infantry because they can't ignore the low-level guys in front of them to shoot at the Titan as long as the bases are fully blocking that Titan. So you've got to use these types of things to your advantage. You've got to be thinking in these ways. And so these screening units, you want to be very mindful because they are quick, but they are low armor. And there is an intention there to absorb damage from these other units. You want to make sure you're cognizant of not placing these fire teams within that 6-inch bubble. That 6-inch bubble is a no-go for these particular units. You want to go ahead and jump past this area, or you want to go ahead and just stop short of it and then go to that area the next turn, or go beyond it the next turn. Because our intention is to stop our opponent's movement forward, block their advance, block their charges, their rushes, in such a way that the opponent is going to have a very difficult time ignoring our units that we don't care about, ignoring our screeners, ignoring what we'd call in other games, chaff. Now, this doesn't mean that the chaff doesn't have other roles. doesn't mean we haven't brought it for other things, or that it could be used differently in a different game or operation. In this particular operation, we want to set the line of battle, preferably ahead of, the, ahead of those two central markers, do the fighting, on their half of the table, where we're only going to give up a point or two as opposed to two points and then three points if the whole unit or any part of that unit was ever within six inches of those markers. We want to be beyond that point, and we want to delay them because our job, our goal in this operation is to own more of those objectives more often than our opponent owns any. And if we do that, we can go ahead and rack up more points than our opponent can. And this is how we're going to win this operation. This is our strategy for winning this operation. And we're going to execute it by screening them, where we're going to set a line of battle with cheaper units that are going to be forward of the points-driven zone. We're going to backfill, or we're going to screen heavy units 
that are going to be harder for our opponent to dislodge. And we're going to make sure that we support those units with commanders and assets that support the reinforcement and protection of those units above virtually everything else. So we're going to set the line of battle. We are going to own the objectives and we are going to seek to kill about a fire team a turn on our opponent's half of the map. So how else are we going to do this? We're looking at main we're going to look for mainline troops with high defense or high armor. So most of your mainline troops are going to be high defense or high armor, and I immediately hear you gibbering hordes guys in the back going, I don't have any of that. Well, you have some of that. You just have to find it, and you have to support it properly. So gibbering hordes has some of the best screeners in the game. You have Yurazi, you have barbed crawlers, you have even speckled crawlers. You're going to make a lot of use in this operation around your titans as we've talked about and it's less so in their killing potential and more so in the difficulty to remove them fully from the table in a single go and their ability to interact with the scenario so that is where you're going to gain a lot of advantage is that point right directly and you're going to try and keep the rest of your units either screening your big guys and or filling in as necessary to help protect them or to screen them out. So there's a lot of screening that you're going to take advantage of in this. You're going to take advantage of your tide pools uh, immensely. You're going to utilize Relic of Ancient Malifaux as soon as you can. Anytime that there is... Um, some damage you want to go ahead and try to mitigate that damage as much as possible and remember to take advantage of your special rules whenever you can so one of the things to think about additionally is you are going to need some offensive output to win this operation so you got to think of what units you're bringing can kind of fill a, an offensive role for you. Something that can, if the opponent does break through your chaff, can go ahead and counterpunch that, that chaff breakthrough. Ideally, punching it while it's within that 6-inch uh, of the operational marker. So a lot of times your mainline infantry units are going to fall um, directly in this category. Uh, for Abyssinia, we're looking at you. Uh, we're looking at you, Mahal Safari. We're looking at you, Royal Rifle Corps. We're looking at you, Stripe Skulkers. And I'll get back to those in a minute, along with the Kirkino. Uh, or the good old Warped. So, I am a huge fan of Stripe Skulkers. And you have to utilize all of their rules to get the most out of Stripe Skulkers, but the Stripe Skulkers are able to do something that almost no other unit in this game is able to do, and that is they flip an additional card on offense and defense as long as they are touching, are in base contact with 
some piece of terrain. And you have the ability to generate terrain, uh, particularly if you take the Storm Siren. Uh, or if, if you, or just by the fact that you're gibbering hordes and you were able to place down those two tide pool markers at the start of the game. The placement in this particular operation is critical because those striped skulkers are going to be your lifeline in the game. And the reason for that is they are going to ultimately be your mainline infantry they are going to fill that role and they're going to have a very mediocre looking stat line unless they are touching terrain. If they're touching terrain, that mediocre stat line, while it remains mediocre, is flipping an additional card. So it essentially boosts that number by one and all of a sudden you're looking at sixes across the board from a statistical average standpoint because you're flipping two cards your opponent is only flipping one before any other resources are expended, you are seeing twice as many cards as the opponent, which means over time that unit is going to perform much higher than its base stats are going to indicate. And that is where you can really press the advantage. So to recap, we are looking for screeners. We are looking for resilient single fire team models, i.e. titans. We are looking for uh, attacking models. We're looking for models that are going to be able to serve as a counterpunch. Essentially, that's what I'm calling the attacking models in this operation, are our counterpunch models. We want the models that can go ahead and break through a screen, or if no screen is being set, because we've effectively screened, we are going to go ahead and then backfill behind that screen to when that breakthrough comes to be able to launch through it, launch through the breakthrough. Our, our opponent breaks through. We're going to go ahead, launch into them, and unleash as much attacking power as we can to, to repel that particular breakthrough. And again, that's where things like the Titans make a ton of additional sense for you pretty much regardless of the alliance in this particular operation and again we're talking specifically about pitched assault uh, which is the one that i wanted to start this kind of series with so i hope this gives you a lot of things to think about i hope it, it gives you some ideas uh some of the other types of concepts for for models in your list are defenders uh, enablers and jacks. So I want to go over those particular items very quickly. So a defender style unit is going to be a unit in your list that is going to defend your operational points. So these are models that are either going to be set to counterattack what is coming in to claim markers deep, uh, or it's going to be a type of unit that is going to be used to help prevent uh, the opponent from being able to take a, a true operational lead. And you need to identify these in your list fairly quickly. Um, a good example of these, again, are Mahal Safari. Mahal Safari make excellent defenders because they have a very strong uh, range attack, but they have a higher strength 
melee attack. So if an opponent does get in close with them, they are able to help repel that. So you need to identify what these things are within your faction, within your list, and if the operation is calling for them. And we'll get into those a little bit more when we talk about supply cash uh, in a future cast. Uh, one of the other things I want you to think about are enablers. So enablers are essentially support units. A lot of times these are going to be your commanders. Uh, commanders in many cases are built, or at least one of them is built as an enabler, uh, where they are supporting what you're attempting to do. Uh, there are assets that allow this to happen for other models in the game. Uh, there are units like Thrace, which is very much an enabler model. Uh, other examples are the Railgunner. The Railgunner is a prime example of an enabler. They either provide an additional offensive boost when it's required, or they are actively drawing you additional cards. Uh, in other factions, uh, the Devouring Eel is a great example of an enabler. Uh, it is something that is able to, be, to charge fire, uh, to be very resilient, uh, is able to dictate uh, a, its own place on the battlefield. It can reproduce itself. It can provide a lot of pressure on an opponent and do some finishing and support, which enables the rest of your rest of your company to do its defined roles. It can do a very good job of disruption. Uh, and finally, there are jacks. Jacks are essentially uh, a unit that can have can fill multiple roles for you. And these are especially uh, something that is very great to have in the garrison phase of your build. So when you're you're building for an entire tournament, you're going to want to head it go ahead and look at it, keeping a unit or two of jacks, where you have a unit that can fill multiple of the kind of defined roles that we talked about that can maybe doesn't excel at any one thing but can excel in a couple of these if you if you set them up for success and you identify their role early on. So again, uh, to me, in Abyssinia particularly, Mahal Safari are the definitive jack unit. They are a unit that does a lot of things decently. They don't do too much excellently. And because of that, they kind of fall into this Maybe I'm going to take them, maybe I don't. I think, this, I think this unit is better here. Well, it's probably good to have a one, at least one unit of them in a garrison, particularly in a two-commander game, because occasionally you're just going to need an operation, a type of reserve unit that you're going to be able to put in that list and go, okay, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to need in this operation, but I know the Mahal can kind of fit that role of... Hey, if I need a little more defense, they can provide me a little more defense. If I need a little more offense, they can provide me a little more offense. If I need to transition mid-game, this unit can definitely do that, go from defending to attacking or from attacking to defending. This is uh, you know, kind of, a, kind of a unit that I can think about in those terms. And I just want to challenge you to think about how you're building your list. Think about the roles that you're mentally assigning to your items. Think about the screeners that you have. Think about the attackers that you have. Think about the defenders that you have, the enablers and the jacks. And, and then additionally, the, the titans. And the titans are a great, great example of essentially a jack unit on steroids. 
they can really be in a lot of ways configured or do a variety of different roles. Um, one other role that I want to do want to talk about is the objective runner. So objective runners in a lot of cases aren't identified at the start of a game. And I think this is a mistake or we, or we forget to assign this particular role. Uh, in a lot of cases, it's going to be the attacking models. But in other cases, you can have attacking models clear the lane, and then they don't have the actions to then grab uh, the objectives. And so if you're finding yourself in a situation where, yeah, I'm cleaning out half my opponent's force, but I'm not claiming these objectives and I'm not getting a real reward for doing this, you need to really start thinking about keeping or putting in objective runners into your list build, or at least putting that label on a unit and going, this unit is going to do this for me this game. Uh, I utilize my commander as a runner a lot. Um, I think commanders can be very sneaky, uh, very sneaky runners, and I think in a lot of cases they can do very good at grabbing objectives, particularly in the mid-game. So it's definitely something you want to think about, want to try out. Um, I recommend it to you. I appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to me, you can reach me at cheatedfatesjoe at gmail.com or, as always, on Twitter, at cheatedfatesjoe. I look forward to talking with you, and I look forward to creating some more uh, coordinated strikes as we go forward. Uh, Toss is an amazing game. I hope you've had a chance to play it. Uh, if you haven't, I hope you get a chance to demo it and even more of a chance to buy it uh, at Gen Con. So I will not be there, but uh, I wish everyone the best of luck, and I hope everyone has fun in the tournaments. And we will talk to you next time, because remember, if you have a tactics token, you can make a coordinated strike. I do what I